Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. Thank you for tuning into the show. As a prominent figure in Calgary's innovation ecosystem, I am passionate about finding things that need to be improved and doing something about it. My background is in software development, but I'm also an enthusiast of blockchain and virtual reality. In addition to that, I enjoy photography and clearly podcasting. I sincerely hope you enjoy listening to this episode. Join me for my discussion with the amazing and talented Art Proctor. Let's do this. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Today, my special guest is Art Proctor. Hi, Art. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Al. It's awesome to be here and appreciate the invitation. Excellent. Excellent. So as I always start out, I'd like uh, I'd like for you and I to go over, well, more, more you than me, but I'd like to hear a little bit about who's Art and how did you get where you are today? Because you do some really, really interesting things and you're a big part of the ecosystem. Can you maybe talk about kind of where you came from and how you got where you are today? Uh, that is a mouthful and a half and I'll do my best. To <laughs> uh, I jokingly say I'm a man, myth and a legend in my own mind. But on a serious note, uh, I'll give you a little brief background of what and who and where. I'm Art Proctor, Afro-Indigenous individual, a neurodiverse uh, cocktail, as I say. You never know what you're going to get on a daily basis. Uh, <laughs> I have a background that intersects art, tech, and business. I guess my my modus operandi these days, tech steward, digital transformation analyst, uh, XR producer, and in digital tech project management. I come from an art and culture background, but have transitioned more to digital immersive media as of late and been involved, uh, as you know, in the startup and tech community off and on for about eight years on a hardcore level. Does that answer your question? Uh, yeah, that's the only outstanding piece there is uh, where you were where you were born and grew up. Is that in Calgary? or? Uh, so I'm a government brat. So I was actually born in Calgary, but the majority of my family is East Coasters. So Nova Scotia, PEI, Montreal, Toronto, Boston, New York, that whole kind of eastern seaboard kind of thing. Okay. Uh, I am a Black Scotia Mi'kmaq uh, uh, heritage. Uh, so Mi'kmaq, Black, French, Scottish, and a little Mohawk on my mom, on my father's side. Nice mix. That's, that's a really good variety. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was in high school. The running joke was I was 0.5. That was my nickname because I'm 0.5 of everything. <laughs> that's that's great. That's great. So I'm curious because you, you had said that you mix between art and technology and indigenous ideas and such. Where where did that where did that come from? Did it did it happen sort of over time, or was it sort of like something you just saw right off the bat? So I'm a very unique individual, as you know, because you know me pretty well. <laughs> um, <laughs> I grew up in a really weird but awesome environment. One because my mom worked 
uh, in multiple sectors, multiple jobs, but primarily through government freelance contracts in intelligence. Uh, uh, but she was raised in a community and with a background in arts, culture, sports, and all that kind of stuff. So I was a very unique kid, as is most individual kids. They grew up with baseball and sports and all those other kind of things. You could tell them what your favorite hockey player was and all that kind of stuff. I grew up with jazz music, old musicals, and and a different cultural background. So I could tell you 1930s kind of like music stars and, and dancers and all that kind of stuff. I could tell you I collected. I know this is going to be a shock. I used to collect recipes when I was a kid because oh. I'm obsessed with with food and all kinds of stuff. So growing up, I came by this honestly. Uh, also, I should probably step back. So forgive my mosaic thinking because I'm a little dyslexic. So I have that kind of kind of like just kind of mosaic thinking kind of pattern. But I um, I lost my train of thought, so I have to take a bus. What was no the worries. <laughs> no worries at all. Um, I was wondering, like, where did the merge between art and tech come from? How did that come about? Okay, so getting back to the original question, yeah, that the interest was intrinsic and probably natural because of the surroundings that I was a part of. But as I grew older, uh, junior high school, high school, I loved the aspects of both art and culture and also was very interested from a young age in technology. And I, being the sort of Rain Man-esque uh, individual that I am, I was always trying to figure out, well, I was told back in the day, you need to focus on one thing. And I, I'm going, why do I need to focus on one thing? Why can't I do them at the same time, because even back when I was a younger lad, I saw the pattern of how art and technology will meld and will meld in future. And I'm glad to say in 2023, I was completely right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go art. <laughs> if I could go back in time, I was going, you're on the right track, kid. Don't worry about it. They're just not ahead of you. You're so far more ahead than you realize. So that is so natural. And then just being a natural forecaster and seeing how things can actually melt together. That is, I think that's the answer to your question. If it oh, is. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. That's great. It, it kind of leads into so off mic, I mistakenly said that, that technology in indigenous seemed like something that didn't go 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 together well in the in sort of like the history but you were saying no no that's completely wrong so let's talk a little bit about that so you're saying that you know indigenous people have been incredibly innovative over the over time so let's let's, let's take me take me through that talk let's talk a little so, bit about that so we are still alive we're still prospering we're still around mm -hmm. and and so the concept of we need to redefine what innovation and technology is, I think we're looking at it more from a, a modern lens as opposed to a cultural 
kind of like an institutional lens going back thousands of years. So ancestors needed to be very creative in the solutions that they needed to do to actually survive and actually have multiple generations after them still be in existence and be of value to community and to the world. And if I may be so blunt, the modern world and, you know, are starting to acknowledge and to realize that some of the practices that Indigenous people globally have been doing for thousands of years are actually the proper techniques to do. Let's talk about climate. Let's talk about environmental. Let's talk about agriculture. Let's talk about health. Let's talk about all these things that people are starting to going, oh, actually the Indigenous people of this place have been doing these things for generations. The reason why we're in trouble today, it's because we forgot those teachings. Right, right. That's that's a really, really good point. Yeah, that's a absolutely clever and, and correct way of looking at things for sure, 100%. When we look at um, the modern definition of technology, we look at computers and, and virtual reality and those sorts of things. That's where you've started to, to blend yourself or, or you have been blending yourself in for quite some time. And I know, I know you also are involved in the, the, the film, TV and film industry. So we should, we should totally talk a little bit about that. Actually, let's talk a little bit about that first. I want you to talk about your experience in the, in the television and film industry. And then let's go into this modern technology that you've been diving into as well. And then that will lead us to this new organization that you're putting together. So if I may just speak to previous points that you're talking about. Yeah, for sure. How Indigenous people are connected to technology. I actually, some of the leading people in the world in regards to some of the, 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 new, the new tech, quote unquote, using that as, 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 a, as a framework or a colonial term is there are people that actually have PhDs in AI, you know, mm-hmm. virtual reality, virtual production, computer science, you know, biochemistry, all those things. So we need to, the reason why I'm very uh, av- advocate and adamant about this is because Indigenous and people of color have been using and are actually creators or inventors of these technologies for hundreds of years, but because of revisionist history or or whatever, they were they were disbarred for actually having that as a as a moniker or or a concept. So um, we have been involved in modern technology for many, many years, and some were actually creators or, or creators or facilitators of that tech uh, for a generation or so. Um, mm-hmm. Moving forward, moving forward in regards to arts, culture, film, stage, and all that kind of stuff, I started literally as a dancer actor. I was very prevalent in the, the, the I know I'm going to show my age here. <laughs> but I was, I was very prevalent in the, the 80s and early 90s in the Canadian hip-hop scene, uh, specifically in Ottawa, which was surprisingly a cornerstone of, of uh, that culture back in the day. And one of the major 
kind of institutions was a group by the name of the Canadian Floor Masters, uh, who the organization is still in existence about 38 years later. So wow. if, you, if you watch Planet B-Boy, at the very end of Planet B-Boy, there's a little a nod to them because of the 50 years of hip-hop that in Ottawa, the museum, I'm going to say the Museum of Civilization or Museum of History, please don't quote me on that term, but like, <laughs> it's one. It's something like that. There is a there is an installation that actually talks about hip-hop and Ottawa's involvement, which is pretty cool. And then moving forward, I I was mentored by my step-grandfather, his name H. Roderick Scott, who was one of the original Norman Miller dancers from the late 20s, early 30s. He was from Yonkers, but actually moved to Montreal and then moved to Ottawa. So he was a huge mentor of mine. He's the one that got me involved or interested in jazz and, and Lindy Hop. And then through him, I, I was helped in my knowledge of event management and then uh, dance teaching and all that kind of stuff. And then I moved from Ottawa to the West. I'm not going to give you the, the whole kind of like rigmarole of where I went, but ended up in Calgary. I've lived in Calgary now. This is, I think, my fifth time. Uh, I actually went to SAIT, Southern Alberta Institute of Technology. For anybody that's not from Calgary, Alberta, so you would actually know where that is. It's based out of Calgary, and it's a tech school. And I went for uh, Saint painting and decorating with a side cinema, television, and radio, just because I could. Uh, and through that apprenticeship, I got connected and invited to be a part of the local uh, film and stage union, which is IATSE Local 212 which is the International Alliance of Theater and Stage Employees and Motion Picture Technicians. Uh, I got in, I've done painting, set deck, set dressing, and then was connected with the independent scene and also the, the A-list scene in, uh, you know, stage management and, and assistant directing and locations and all those other things. And I'm literally coming up very soon to actually being officially um, a member of IATSE 212 for 25 years. Wow. Um, so I'm going to get my, my pin and my little bro uh, my little plaque here soon. And I'm going, how did I become old? When did I become old? <laughs> when did that happen? <laughs> when did that happen? Uh, and so I've been involved peripherally or, you know, as a full-time crew member, Probably, and don't quote me on this number, I have to go back and check, but I think at least 40 productions in my career. Wow, wow. In some, either from a day call to like, you know, you know, a consultant to like a full-on like crew member. And uh, at my last count, I'm going to say, I know this is going to shock you, but I'm going to say probably 2,500 events in my career. Wow. Yeah. Like you, well, you, you're certainly at a lot of events nowadays when I see you around. Um, actually working or organizing them. Mm -hmm. in my, mm -hmm. in my 
career. Not just yesterday. I'm talking over the span <laughs> of my lifetime because that people are going. I call BS on that. I'm going. No, if you do the math, it actually it actually works out. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. So so now, how do we go from working as a on the cruise of of film, theater, and television towards starting an a new organization that you're calling Indigitech Destiny. And let's talk a little bit about that and and what you're planning to do with all that. So as you know, I'm an OG rainforester going way back in the day. I think I started in 2017, give or take, and uh, was very involved in that world and trying to navigate my interest in technology, business, and art, and how I could actually marry them together. And then one of my very first projects, Outlays, that came from that meeting. And by the way, I need to give out a, a big shout out to Jeff LaFrance, because if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have actually ever gone to Rainforest, probably, because he's the one who introduced me to Rainforest and took me to my first meeting. So go, Jeff. Um, uh, and so, but I actually met a couple of individuals, Will Gao, Brent, and a couple of other people that were starting an organization called Adapsity. And they were doing a project along the lines of artists IP. And they were wanting to create the very first online art market built and backed by blockchain using a smart contract to reconcile physical assets in the digital space. And so I have a background in art, have a background in digital media, have a background in all those kind of little areas and going, you'd be a great kind of like community builder and liaison between those little worlds. You want to come play with us? And I'm saying, hell yes. (laughs) Why not? And I, from you know, a point of view of I'm all about data sovereignty, data, you know, you know, integrity, privacy, all that kind of stuff. If I can assist in in learning about that and helping to achieve that, that's two thumbs up for me. Uh, So we created that as a liaison. I'm also an artist in my own right anyway. And so they utilized one of my paintings is one of the very first uh, paintings to be bought, sold with a digital, uploaded with a digital certificate of authenticity and installed into the Ethereum blockchain. And I'm going, really? What does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) What does that mean? And then I actually had two or three more projects uploaded. And that was a really cool project. I learned a lot. And still to this day, I have some of those pieces that were bought and sold multiple times, and I get a 4% royalty every time someone buys and sells it. So it shows the validity and the, and the, 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 the awesomeness of that technology if used in a proper ethical way to actually support the, the people and the artists and all that kind of stuff. So big shout out. And this was two years before the whole NFT craze and, and Beeple. And by yeah. the way, I didn't make the $67 million, okay? Um, <laughs> and no offense, if I may be just a little, a little sarcastic here for two seconds, 
no one that knows me knows that I don't have a sarcastic sense of humor at all, um, <laughs> is I'm so happy that the NFT craze has like tanked and it's been exposed as a complete Ponzi scheme. Uh, there's a difference between blockchain, smart contracts, and IP than the modern equivalent of what NFTs are or were perceived as. But mm -hmm. just, I don't want to, you know, do put my fingers in my my um, ears and go, na 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 na. I told you so. But <laughs> yeah, but I did. <laughs> you know, there's one there's one underlying theme, I guess, that follows through all of mankind. And it's like, how do I get rich quick? And yeah. so as soon as something new comes out, everybody tries to figure out how to get rich quick. And 99% of the time, getting rich quick means suckering everybody else into thinking that they're going to get rich quick so that you can get rich quick. And people just haven't seemed to have understood that. They still think to this day, oh, look, look at that. You can get rich so easily just by doing that. You don't even have to work at it. And there really, there really isn't an ethical way of doing that. There's only unethical ways of doing that. So yeah, it's, it's, it's cool that you saw that from a long time earlier. And, you know, NFT technology, we've talked about on this podcast numerous times about NFTs and, and the technology behind it, the concept of a non-fungible fungible token is super, super important to the future. And it's really, really great attaching it to a JPEG and then selling that to somebody for a thousand dollars is not what an NFT is. It's one thing that people have used it for in, a, in, in, you know, some people have done it in an ethical way. Like when you talk about artists getting royalties, when they're continues to sell, I think that's totally valid, but you know, throwing together a bunch of apes and then selling them for thousands of dollars is just, is just a, a scheme, like you said. And you know, not to call out any specific NFT projects because they're obviously being creative and being original and trying to do something spectacular for the world, but their 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 leadership and their first stab at the, at it has just brought in waves and waves and waves of criminals and unethical people trying to make money off of everybody else. And just think, you know, the technology's sound. I think the technology's brilliant. I think the use of it has to be examined with with a fine tooth comb so 100 percent agree will always agree and you know move forward i love the technology i just don't like the people of how they used it to defry multiple people and do a big ponzi scheme on society <laughs> yeah yeah I, yeah i am a man of strong principles and ethics and i'm sorry i do not want to be become rich and famous off of that because I believe in universal karma. Yep. I believe in the concept that what you put out, you get back in. Mm -hmm. And so, no, I, I don't want to be getting a pimp slap down the road because I, I steer someone in the wrong way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Well, let's, let's, let's move into Indigitech Destiny. Tell me what that's all about and how you how you came up with the idea or, or how that got all started. Actually, I'm going to do a shout out and blame a little bit, uh, lovingly blame, because if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't, this wouldn't exist today. But lovingly blame my, my sisters from different misters from Rainforest, Alberta, Bridget and, and Amber. And 
becoming a dear friend of mine, Jenny Conway Fisher from Platform Calgary. So in in September, well, September of what what did it, so this is like two, two so September twenty one or September whatever, a couple of years ago. Um, mm-hmm. It was I think the first or second year of the Truth and Reconciliation Day. And I said it would be interesting to actually maybe because the Wednesday fell uh, two days before TRC Day. And I'm going, it would be interesting to actually maybe spotlight uh, Indigenous professionals uh, in tribute to TRC Day. And uh, and they said, that's a cool idea. Uh, would you like to do it or would you like or do you know someone that could do that? And I have a mentor that, that says, if you, if you see a problem, you should actually come up with the solution. And so I'm going, oh, what did I do? What did yeah. I do? <laughs> we're, we're brothers, Art. That's how this whole podcast started. I literally went up to Mackenzie Bedford and said, hey, you guys should do a podcast. And she said, great idea. Go for it. <laughs> and so I, I, uh, I did a little, you know, little event for Rainforest Alberta, Lunch Without Lunch. And it, to my you know, surprise, it went well. People responded to it greatly. And then Jenny Conway Fisher took me to the side and was going, that was fantastic. Would you be interested in doing a talk for Innovation Week coming up next month? And then I'm going, <laughs> <laughs> sure. And so what I did was, because I know this sounds surprisingly, but I am not a biggest fan of public speaking. No. <laughs> Could have fooled everyone. <laughs> no, no, I'm actually not a fan in general of public speaking. So I enlisted and put a call out to a group of colleagues and friends and going, would you be interested in doing a one-off talk in regards to, to something about Indigenous professionals and technology or technology through an Indigenous lens? And I put out the call and I got email after email, text after text going, that sounds like a cool idea. That sounds like a cool idea. And so uh, I'm going, so how do I deal with all these people that are interested? And I'm going, this sounds like a cool idea. So I started to program these people and go, do you want to be involved? Do you want to be involved? And everybody said yes. And then for me trying to get away from talking, I just created job and an event for myself. <laughs> That's funny. That is funny. And we literally put it together in less than three weeks with three people and no budget. Wow. And big shout out to Genway, Jenny Conway Fisher and Barry Morissette for being, you know, the, the three, the two other individuals that actually pulled that off. 11th hour. Well, obviously, I have to say a big, big shout out to Platform Calgary, because if it wasn't for Platform Calgary, this wouldn't actually be in existence at all. So thank you, guys. I really appreciate the time, effort and support that you've shown to me in the last couple of years. Uh, and then we got we got some shout out from the city of Calgary and CED and all, all kinds of other stuff. And we pulled it off. This year, we were a little bit smarter in advance about you know four to six months out and then 
you know, a couple of colleagues from Platform Calgary again said, we want to actually do this, but we want to do this a little bit more right this year and not rush this and not, you know, you know, give you gray here to try to put this together in less than three weeks. And if anybody knows event management, that's a crazy, that's a crazy, crazy time deadline deadline. It's it's not normal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually, yeah. It's actually quite insane, to be honest. <laughs> right, right. So so basically this new organization that you're putting together, which is I, I believe you said is going to be a not for profit, is basically it came out of that 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 innovation week event that you're basically doing again this year. Yep. Oh, yeah. that's cool. And so uh, so it was such a huge success that people going, we need to do this again. And so I jokingly said, anybody in the room that wants to actually do this again, raise your hand. And I'm going, you see all your raised hands? You're going you're gonna to actually help me do this next year because I'm not doing this by myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good way to solicit people is make them feel guilty right out of the gate. <laughs> but But... Not trying to make them feel guilty, but I think it's a, a disservice to individual and all that kind of stuff that if you want an event or an initiative or a movement to move forward, that one person cannot do everything. Yeah. It's, it's not feasible and it's not sustainable and it's unrealistic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think people need to to change their attitude slightly from you should do this to let's do this. I think that's that's that makes all the difference in the world. So and so, I would say, the first year I did seventy five percent of the work. This year I'm probably fifty to sixty percent of the work. So, hopefully, knock on wood, this moves forward for another five, ten, twenty years, and by by that time I will be one to ten percent involved and let community run the event and not me run the. That that's a good dream. We'll see what happens. <laughs> I find that the the fallacy of communities is they are run or are focused or rain, rain uh, like umbrellaed by one or two individuals, and if those one to three individuals step down, move, quit, or whatever, then the, then the organization falls because no one was taught actually how to run the event or mm-hmm. the organization, or there's no kind of like buy-in from community. So if I'm building this, it's going to be built organically and it's going to be community run. And I'm going because Uncle Art's not doing this for like 20 years by himself. Well put. Well, on that note, if you're interested in in getting to be a part of Art's group of friends who put together amazing events. We'll put Art's connection information in the in the show notes and along with links to all the other stuff, including the the uh, event stuff that he's doing. And you know what, Art, it was absolute pleasure having you here today. And thank you for coming on a short notice to join me on the show. Well, thank you for the invite. And hopefully the information was useful, impactful, and and and, and knowledgeable. And if anybody wants to know more about me or the things that I do or the initiatives that I'm work with, just reach out uh, as Al and a lot of other organ- people in community know, 
I'm just literally a text, an email, a LinkedIn away. And if I can help you, I will. And if I can't, I can't. (laughs) (laughs) You'll know someone who does though. That's the thing. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks, Art. Bye. Cheers, everyone. Come back next week for the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast for Rainforest Alberta. Cheers. If you haven't already, visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode was brought to you by New Idea Machine. NIM helps new software developers, UI UX designers, and product managers gain mentored hands-on industry experience. And at the same time, we provide companies with risk-free tech talent. Definitely a win-win-win situation. Visit newideamachine.com for more information. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>